The hit podcast, Up and Vanished, is coming to TV on Oxygen, the true network for crime. Join host Payne Lindsay each week as he takes on new mysterious missing persons cases across America. When Payne started the Up and Vanished podcast, he set out to explore the 2005 disappearance of a Georgia high school teacher and former beauty queen. The podcast heated up the conversation around the cold case, and two arrests were eventually made. Now, after two seasons and more than 340 million downloads, the Up and Vanished team are headed to Oxygen. And these new cases are just as gripping as the original podcast. Don't miss Up and Vanished. New episodes Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and watch the first episode for free on the Oxygen app. Only on Oxygen, the true network for crime. In the season finale, Jaden, Alex, and I sat together to piece together the facts we knew to come to a determination about the individuals responsible for the tragic case of Adea Shabani. In that episode, we stuck to what we knew to be true and the most important aspects of the case, especially for the families involved. However, there's a lot we believe to be true based on our 14-month investigation, and these interviews and theories fill in a lot of gaps in the story of how an acting student with her whole life ahead of her could end up murdered by a fellow acting student with his whole life ahead of him, too. In this special bonus episode, we present the full conversation that Jaden, Alex, and I had when we sat down for that meeting, as well as excerpts from more recent interviews that support these theories. Here, we dive deep into personal thoughts, opinions, and facts on both key elements and side stories of the case. The most crucial being, why? Appendix 1, Filling in the Gaps. So, we know Chris and Adea got together in September. We know they broke up in December. And then we know they restarted their relationship. What insight do we have in terms of like why they broke up and then restarted? I mean, that's kind of interesting as we start, well, as we yeah. kind of develop a motive. We're walking through this case chronologically from the beginning in order to determine a possible motive as well as answer other key questions along the way. Well, I think it's an important piece, actually, and this is where I think everything goes wrong when they get back together. She was on vacation with her family, and it was no big deal. Chris broke up with her. Then she comes back home, and Nora said that she got a text from Medea on January 6th. I have a message, a text from her on 6th of January, where she says, he came by and he said he wants to be with me. And this is when it started. It started with big lies, because Adea is a straightforward person. Either you are with me or no. She cannot take a second person in the relationship. So for her, it was like constantly lies, 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 lies from his side. And she was pissed off. But the reason he had to start lying was because he probably overpromised to Medea. Exactly. Okay. And then she keeps distrusting him no. for good reason. Mm -hmm. And then he keeps escalating the promises. We'll move in together. We'll get married. I'm moving my stuff now. He just couldn't deliver on any of that stuff. And she's yeah. starting to get smart to that. So he's leading a double life now. And it's highly stressful because now he's not just hiding from Mary, but now he's got all this pressure from Medea 
and Mary told me really recently, and I didn't know this before, that Chris had tried to commit suicide. So I started noticing changes in Chris's behavior in October, which is right around the same time that he started doing the first scene with her. And sometime, I want to say in January, February, like he had, his solution to things was to end his own life. He had a plan, he didn't want me to find him. He like researched and it's like, it can't just be a gunshot because then you could miss or whatever, or, or pills, like people wake up or like, he was actually, he had multiple ways that he, he thought of. He told me this and I was like, do you really expect me to let you leave? Like, he was gonna have a hotel room, and if that didn't work, he was gonna go up to his dad's to get one of their guns, and if not, it was gonna be his uncle. Like, whatever it took, he was gonna do whatever he needed to do, and that was, like, his solution. So he's cracking under the pressure. Yeah. There's in his journals, he calls Adea, like, a vampire to succubus. Mary was saying that even before she knew that there was a fair, she has this hold on me. He's never present in the moment with me. Like I would look at him and he's a million places away, just like constantly like thinking, constantly like wheels turning. And during that time too, like he kept telling me that this girl he thought was like an energy vampire and, and that she was just taking all his energy, giving him bad, like to the point like he went to, he actually went to see a Reiki healer, always wore like a stone and um, kept a rock in his pocket, slept with a rock under his bed. I think it's odd how you just talk to someone so much and little bits start, start to come starts out. leaking out, yeah. So there's something going on with him. The next thing is, he's keeping the fair secret from Mary, from his mom. I've talked to a few of his friends now, from most of his friends till, till the very end. Except for one person he knows won't disapprove of what he's doing. That's uh, Merez? Right. I had Mary check Chris Spots' phone bill. And Mary said that very few calls in October, November, December. The exact amount of calls with Chris Merez, according to Chris Spots's phone bill, is four calls in November and three calls in December. And with the bill I have, they start picking up in January. It starts about February 8th. And if it goes to February 23rd, when a day disappeared, in those 19 days, 41 calls between Chris Spots and Chris Merez. I added up, it's 251 minutes. And in the last oh, wow. three days before a day disappears, 14 calls back and forth. When did he, when did he plan to come up there? So Thursday night at 8.50, she's telling Christiane, let me check with my mom if I go to Mexico. Friday morning, she pulls out of Mexico. Uh, she did not know she was going to this funeral till Friday morning. I mean, I think it's smart if you are gonna kill somebody to Spring it on them at the last minute. And tell me what you think of this. I was trying to think of when was it planned. And my thought is, the night that Adea shows up, that night where there's a fight in the truck, there's the big fight. He's taking her stuff. I think, you know, I think she's taking his stuff. There's the knife thing, that whole calls to 911. At that point, it's a abusive, violent relationship. Things are to place where Adea could call the police and charge domestic violence or assault or theft, theft right? So my theory is that at this point, when Adea comes outside Chris's apartment, Chris tells Mary 
she's saying she's going to commit suicide. I think he's saying that she's going to commit suicide if I don't go down there and talk to her. Making that up mm -hmm. to try to go down and pacify her or get her to stop. When he goes down there, she's very wound up. Maybe in anger, whatever it is, she's said some things. Like we, we've met her friends, they're, you don't fuck with them. They're, they're tough and they take no bullshit kind of people. Oh yeah. It's like enough is enough. I'm going to call you for taking my stuff. I think Nora said she thought, you know, Dave's going to call the police for taking his stuff. I mean, how would you, what would you think about a person you love and you have uh, serious plans with? Stealing, uh, having stuff disappear from your house and him disappearing all the time. And then when he was cornered, he couldn't take it anymore because she wanted to call Mary. And when she cornered him, then she, he got aggressive and he snapped. So my, my thought or theory is that that was the night when he's like, it's her or me. And also, by the way, the other thing is, he starts kind of being, night, like, the drama stops today. It's like he's being lovey-dovey. Well, and his problem is solved to him. He's gonna, he can be as nice as she wants, as he has to be to her, because in a few days, she's not gonna be a problem anymore. Yeah. It's like putting up with something you know is going to be over. Something I often tell people is that we're too close to ourselves to see ourselves clearly. Meaning that we are often not the best judge of our own problems and our own solutions to them because for the most part, we created them. So one of our sponsors is BetterHelp, and they offer online counseling. What's really cool about them is it's not just going to a therapist's office. They offer text, chat, phone, and or video. So you can talk to a therapist any way you want to. I really do think it's important that everyone has someone to talk to who doesn't, say, have a personal stake or relationship with that person. Getting outside professional trained counseling is really important for whatever you're struggling with, be it depression, stress, anxiety, intimacy and relationship issues, sleeping, trauma, anger, family issues, grief. There's so many good reasons to see a therapist. And I can tell you that almost everyone in this podcast who's dealing with trauma, I've suggested workshops and therapists to them as well. So BetterHelp has over 3,000 licensed therapists across 50 states in the U.S., so as a listener to this podcast, you get 10% off your first month of counseling at betterhelp.com slash live. That's betterhelp.com slash live. When you get there, there's a questionnaire and they take themselves seriously. It's not a couple of generic questions. It's a semi-detailed questionnaire so they can match you with a therapist who's right for you. Again, go to betterhelp.com slash live. And this is my first case, so I don't know, but he feels like he's in survival mode. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, there definitely is a theme in, in certain murders where people feel like they don't have any other option. And I think it, what's weird is that thought about her destroying his acting career. You know, we have a little bit of evidence that points to how much he values his acting career because he's literally like on the run 
from LAPD, me, Adea's friends, but yet he decides to drive all the way from Colorado back to LA to like do a gig and his last thing. A little 30 minute thing. Like that's how important his acting career is to him. Right. So to say that like he murdered somebody because he felt like they were going to put his acting career in jeopardy is not that far-fetched. He's 33 years old, doesn't have a job. He's going to auditions all the time. Right. He's trying to be an actor. He's working on a screenplay. I've talked to his friends. He's writing screenplays for him. He had his own short film project going on. He doesn't want to lose that. Mm -hmm. That's his whole life. There are likely many overlapping reasons as to Chris Boss's motive. He believes, whether true or not, that a day is going to ruin his career, his relationship, his reputation, if he ends this affair. As we know from Mary's comment earlier, Chris Potts already saw no way out and was at least strongly considering suicide. So maybe, and I've discussed this with several people close to Chris Potts, he was suffering from anxiety and depression and possibly using steroids because the previous time he saw his father, he actually went to pick up steroids. And Chris Potts felt, or was convinced by someone else, that there was another way out besides killing himself. And that was killing someone else. So what we want to say is we know they drove, drove up there. We know they stopped two places based on the accuracy of the timeline. We know they, nothing happened to her prior to that. So when we went up there, and I've looked at it again and thought about it, I mean, that road really is, it's a good spot. To what likelihood is it that it happened in that driveway versus when they're at Chris Rez's house for you? I don't know. I mean, 80-20 driveway. Because so far, Kim's information has either kind of been corroborated with something else or been corroborated with some kind of evidence. Like her stories just sort of fit into the narrative. The fact that there was both the blunt force trauma and lacerations, just on a 30,000-foot view, would say, well, that makes sense with a shovel because you're actually dealing with a blunt object and a sort of a bladed object. What Jaden is saying is that he believes this portion of the statement by Chris Merez's ex-wife, Kim, which is that as Chris Potts neared his father's house, he told Adea that they should lie in his truck bed and look at the stars. Google does indeed show that Chris Potts pulled into the driveway of a private residence about a mile and a half before his father's house, in a spot not clearly visible either from the home or from the road. And he remained there for 21 minutes. This is where Jaden believes Adea was very likely killed by repeated blows with a shovel. Adea was where she wanted to be, right? She was with Chris alone. They were out of town. She knew he wasn't, you know, going to sneak away and go to Mary in the middle of the night. She was finally getting to meet his family. Like she was, she had to have been in a very good place. What we know Chris Spots does next is that he drives to his father's place, likely with Adea's body in his truck, and eventually enters the field across from the house. The only question is if he goes out of that field, and how long was he in the field? I mean, we don't really know because his phone's blinking and out. We don't know. Okay. Right? What's your quick scenario and what do you think might have happened 
I mean, that's, that's like the crucial hours. I mean, I actually like that theory that he was walking around the property looking for a spot to bury her. Around this time, the truck is likely washed and Adea is wrapped in a tarp and baling twine and loaded back into the truck. What happened next has already been well documented in this podcast. According to Kim Merez, and none of this is inconsistent with our Google data, Chris Merez got in his truck and Chris Spots followed in his own truck. They drove to the Spenceville Wildlife Area Campground, where around 2 a.m. that night, Adea Shabani was buried in a shallow grave. Here's the one remaining question. Who was in Adea's apartment that night, if anyone? I don't know. I'm not seeing any, any, any furtherance to that. I don't know. I feel like you probably had a lot of friends that would just want to get out of the way of that, like they would have came forward. Here, here's the other reason why I think that was like a red herring. Chris Spots and Chris Moret, you know, they had uh, stories about everything. The fact that they never told a story about that. And they actually gave us a lot of information through their dumb stories. They sort of like pointed to things. Right. You know, and yeah, right. They never said, they never said anything about that. At this point, we don't believe that anyone was actually in Adea's apartment that night, as was originally suspected. That theory was based on two facts. One is that Adea's door was unlocked, which could have either been done intentionally as a red herring or accidentally because I've tried to lock on Adea's door and it can get stuck. The second reason is that there was activity on Adea's computer at 1.08 a.m. that night when Chris Potts was in Wheatland. That activity, we've discovered, was Adea's Chrome browser syncing. So it's possible that depending on the settings on Adea's computer, the browser automatically synced. So, just a couple last pieces. Why does he return to Chris Merez's house the following day? I think the thing I said early on, which I still think is maybe true, is just, you're just kind of going back just to take the temperature, see what your dad's doing, see if he's acting weird, see if he's giving the impression that he's about to rat you out. And you also need cash for the drive home, so your movements can't be tracked, because he paid for everything with cash on the drive home. So he's getting that cash because he didn't have it for Roseville and got screwed. I don't think he planned to stay at a hotel. I think they just got in a blow up. Oh, maybe he called Sam for a place to stay. Interesting. When were the, when were the calls to Sam? 1026, 1047. At 11, and then I think a text at 11. 1127. They're all one minute calls. They easily could have just... Not connected. Hey, call me back ASAP. Because I don't think he wanted to use his credit card. I think he got in a fight with his dad. I think he ran out of money. And he came back the next day and he needed some money. Otherwise, your whole ride home is going to be tracked. That was one of his big mistakes, was using that card. His whole plan was ruined because he ran out of cash for the gas and he didn't plan to stay at the hotel. That's why he's looking for hotels. He didn't plan that part. He didn't plan that his dad would almost like sell him out or not be involved with him. I mean, I feel like if you're going up there just on a whim, just taking a chance, you have a contingency. You, you know, you have a plan. Right. Man, you don't, yeah, you don't go, he doesn't go there on a contingency. I mean, there's no, that's not possible. You're not going to go so close to your dad's, do it, and then go right to his house, 
hope, like, hoping he's going to... That just doesn't make any sense and at what all. And if, what if Dad says, get the fuck out of here, and you've got a body in the back of you? You go, I'm calling... Yeah, or he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm called police. You're fucked. Like, it's impossible. There's no way he does that. You can't know. <laughs> I'm sure it's I, I'm sure it's happened where somebody's shown up at a house, but it's not but it hasn't been a premeditated thing. Like I don't premeditate a murder, plan everything out, and then just show up at your house hoping you're gonna help me out. That is just totally unreasonable. Again, without the premeditation piece, maybe. But I don't plan it out and then just hope. No way. Here's the other thing. She, they never said, oh, we're going to Chris's dad's. So the uncle's funeral isn't saying I'm going to my dad's. We just figured out the dad's because of his mistakes, actually. And he could later deny it, could say, I never told her any such thing. She's making stuff up because there's no record of him saying that to her. Do you think, well, right, and it sounds good that she made it up because he could say, my uncle is alive. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's a good lie. One more note. When Chris Morez tells Jade the next day, calls Jade the next day, uh, it says that girls go missing from LA every day, all the time. And, you know, I think also they banked on the system not having the resources to look into it or care. I think some part of them thought people go missing all the time, statistics are so high, there's another person missing, look into it, it'll be kind of crazy for a few days, then it'll, then it'll just disappear. You know, Chris Morez has gotten away with so much his whole life that's just another thing like he's kind of like teflon your thoughts on the drive back because i don't think we ever said it explicitly now that we know all this other information i feel like he's definitely getting rid of discarding her stuff i mean the google timeline tracks him to dumpsters and stuff in parking lots right i mean so he's right. definitely getting rid of her stuff piece by piece chris is back in colorado he tells Jade he thinks his dad did it. Jade is talking to Chris Morez and says, I think you did it. Afterward, the dad calls Chris Spots. Chris Spots gets agitated and drives 17 hours all the way to his dad's house. Stays, I talked to because she was there when, when Chris Spots arrived. She went away for an hour and a half. We've beeped out the name of Chris Morez's fiance here, who recently moved out of his home. This is what she shared with me. Chris was either like sleeping or like in the back. I don't remember what he was doing, but I answered the I answered the door, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, you know, like I had no idea, you know, like didn't know why he was even up there." So told him to come in, and then. I had to get my daughter's again, so I probably saw him for like 10 minutes, and then I left. And then by the time I got back, Chris spot was already gone. So he drove 17 hours just to spend two hours with his dad, so they're having some kind of conversation then. The last piece of this is Chances when he found Chris, Chris was going to commit suicide. He had it all planned out, man. He, uh, he had a chain, about a chain. And he was going to wrap the chain around his neck and shoot himself in the head as he jumped off the balcony with the chain tied. Two tied in the balcony. Like, shoot himself while he was falling. Yeah. Looking for something. I told him that was a, you know, it's like the biggest overkill I've ever heard of. 
So Chris felt like the jig was up. Everybody knew he's like, so his whole goal is to protect his career. It's done. You know, you're a fugitive now. It's done. So he was meeting Chance to kill himself. Chance talks him out of it, and he thinks, I've got one last plan. My last plan is to go to my dad's, get some sort of confession out of him, kill him so he can't talk, and then maybe, maybe I could get away with this. Well, and that's not a bad idea for him because, so what, he's, that would fix his situation. You know, he would be in the news at least, and he would be in the news in a positive way, right? Because he was a victim too. His dad killed his girlfriend. Anyone hear a crazy story? I talked to his friend Sebastiano, the guy who he was supposed to spend the night at his house, the night spent it at a day at his house. But Chris was working on one last project. It was a story that he heard from an Uber driver, and it is actually tragically ironic because I realized this afterwards. But the story basically was about this guy and girl that gets in a in an Uber. And uh, when the guy leaves at a gas station to get some things, the girl uh, confesses to the driver that she was kidnapped. And the guy took uh, her cell phone, her wallet, her documents, and he is keeping her hostage. And uh, Adele was supposed to play the part of the kidnapped girl and Chris, or the kidnapper. Wow. Do we have this? I have the screenplay. Really? Yeah. So that tells you, I mean, right there, like when we're talking about how apt he is at planning out a crime, he's probably researching it for this screenplay. I'm a big supporter of Ring. Ring, in addition to being one of this podcast's first sponsors, is also making my home safer. I literally have ring doorbells and floodlights on all of the doors to my home, and from every angle, I can literally see who is approaching my home at any time, at all hours. And not only that, with the Ring app, I gave someone else who I trust my password so they can see as well, in case I need to know anything. It may sound like I'm paranoid, but if you're doing this podcast, and especially the next season of this podcast, you're dealing with some people who are capable of anything. So Ring helps you stay safe, and connected to your home anywhere in the world. And also, it's just convenient. If there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you get an alert and you're able to see, hear, or speak to them all from your phone. As a subscriber to this podcast, there's a special offer on a Ring welcome kit available right now at ring.com lost. The kit includes a video doorbell and a Chime Pro, which is just what you need to start building a ring of security around your home today. Go to ring.com lost. That's ring.com lost. The only thing left is this last chase, the pursuit with the police. And I think we haven't discussed that you got Chris Spotts' autopsy report. I share that autopsy report with a forensic investigator. I have his notes. As you already know from the finale, the result of the autopsy report, as well as an independent review, is that Chris Spotts did commit suicide. Here's an excerpt I haven't shared yet from the original coroner's report. And it begins stating that investigators had been tracking Spots' cell phone, and I'm quoting here now, between Denver, Colorado near his mother's home and Sacramento, California near his father's home. 
LAPD investigators added that they had been actively seeking him and searching for his girlfriend. On March 22, 2018, at about 8.26, a license plate reader located on the signal lights at the intersection of Main Street and Mariposa Road in Hesperia got a hit on a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck and notified police dispatch. Dispatch broadcasted the hit and advised the pickup truck was possibly stolen and there could be a missing person associated with the vehicle. Deputy Bray initiated a traffic stop at 8.42. As he did so, Spots got onto the southbound Interstate 15 Main Street on-ramp. Spots pulled his pickup truck over, rolled down the driver's side window, and dropped a set of keys. As Deputy Bray and his partner were yelling commands, Spots began driving away onto the southbound I-15. Officers initiated a pursuit, but after about a minute, Spots pulled over onto the roadway shoulder and his passenger exited the truck. Spots continued driving southbound on I-15 and a pursuit ensued. After detailing much of the chase, the report goes on to say that about an hour later, Spots came to a stop as he could not travel any further on the rims of the Tacoma. Three of his tires were flat from the spike strips. As CHP officers got out of their vehicles and approached the pickup truck, they fired less than lethal rounds, later determined to be shotgun beanbags, at the back of the pickup truck and then at the driver's side window. At 9.38, CHP officers advised dispatch of shots fired and reported it appeared that Spots had shot himself. CHP officers approached the vehicle and noticed Spots appeared to be unresponsive with a gunshot wound to his head and requested medical aid. My problem with his, like, activities after the fact has always been how did he think that it was a better idea to not cooperate with the police, get a lawyer, start staying in hotels. How did he think that was a better idea than just... I'll tell you how. Having his journals, he suffers from anxiety. He talks about it a lot. <clears throat> so in other words, it's okay if no one's saying anything, but once they start saying stuff, he's scared of her friends, are gonna beat him up, he's scared of the police. Like Chance was saying when he was driving, Helicopters he thought were the police. Cars he thought were the police. Everywhere he's seen police. Like, I'm sure if you're guilty and you have a guilty conscience, you think everybody is an undercover cop. You think everybody's out to get you. If Chris Spots came home, went about his normal life, what would happen? Given all the evidence we have. I think as long as, uh, as long as Chris Marez kept his mouth shut, probably a bunch of nothing. He would have probably held he would have had to hold up under some scrutiny, but it would have been Chris Marez and it would have been if that body resurfaced. He could have come up with a way better plan. That was a really terrible plan. This is our current narrative, given what we know. Of course, every new source and every new piece of information can add to and even shift that narrative, especially in the gaps where we speculate. Next week, Jaden and I will be answering the questions that you've sent in, including this one. 
Hi, I just had a question about the uh, notebook that was found in the truck. Uh, one of the episodes you had mentioned that Chris Spots said that he needed to tell his mother something. Um, and it was written in this notebook. And I was wondering if you guys could follow up on that. If you haven't sent us your questions, you can email us at livediela at tenderfoot.tv or call our voicemail line at 213-204-2073. I also want to take a moment to thank two people that I accidentally left out of previous credits. Bill Schultz, who voices the datelines at the top of the episodes, and Oren Siegel of Management Production Entertainment. Please remember that this podcast is about real people and real events, all of whom, whatever you may think, are reeling from an unspeakable tragedy. So please make sure to respect their privacy and their grieving process. Thank you for listening.